0: For a very limited time, if you use coupon code RIDE at roadid.com, you'll score $5 off that one piece of gear no cyclist should ride without. Again, that coupon code is RIDE. And in case you were wondering, Road IDs range in price from a mere 20 bucks to 35 bucks. So not only are they inexpensive, but they look good, last forever, and just might save your life. So stop procrastinating. Go out and get one of these bad boys today.
1: Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher coach Bobby Julik and outskirts visionary Gus Morton invite you to put your socks on. From insightful analysis into our sport's most iconic races and racers, to entertaining, educational, and actionable advice, Fizzo is an illuminating deep dive into the art and science of bike racing. Be prepared to put your socks on.
0: Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Put Your Socks On. I'm Bobby Julik, and as always, I'm here with my trusty co-host, Gus Morton. Today, we're talking about stage 17 of the 2019 Tour de France from pont du to Gap, 200-kilometer
2: stage. How you doing today, Gus? Bobby, I'm doing really well. I feel a little rested after the easier stage yesterday, and, uh, you know, I was ready for it. Today was a scorcher. Hot hot heat on the road into the town with no gap, gap. We have a wonderful show today. Super fan as usual, and we're going to be talking relationships on tour. Hearing from Ellie Woods, wife of Tour debutant and four hundred meter track champion and third place at last year's World Road Race Championships. Mike Woods. Want to say thank you to everybody for listening along. The support's been huge. Uh, Special mention to Robbie McEwen, actually, who's commentating on the Tour de France with NBC uh, at the moment. And he, uh, he quoted Bobby, your quote yesterday, uh, the driver analogy from yesterday's sprint finish. So even the, uh, even the old ex-pros are still putting their socks on every day. So shout out to him. Thanks for that. Shoot through your questions. Super fan of LN News. Reach Bobby on Instagram at bobby.julic or myself at, that is Gus. Before we get on the show, let's get our daily dose, Bobby. Alright,
0: it's time for today's Daily Dose of Road ID Tour Trivia. To play, head on over to roadid.com tdf. Today's question. This German sprinter won the green jersey a record six times in a row. Go to roadid.com slash tdf to answer this question and score a chance to win today's daily prize. A pair of Look Special Edition Tour de France pedals. One lucky winner will even take home a $10,000 BMC shopping spree. Again, that's roadid.com slash TDF.
2: I actually know the answer to that one, Bobby, uh, but I won't share it here. You guys going to have to go to the website and uh, do your own tour trivia. Mate, today's stage, hot.
0: Yeah, these, these guys are getting hit uh every which way, not only with the difficulty of these stages, the speed of these stages, the climbs, but now the heat. Um just looked like everyone was just trying to survive today except for the guys that had the breakaway in mind. And watching the the start, it was just pretty impressive how DeGent just went to the front and probably hit, I don't know, six, seven hundred watts for about thirty seconds and forced a major split right from the gun, taking with him eventually 33 riders up the road, making another massive breakaway. We had Greg Van Evermet, DeGent, obviously, Roach, and that sleeper that we've been talking about quite a bit, Zandro Maurice. I think he's going to be in the World Tour next year, the way that he's been riding. We had a bunch of other guys that we'll, we'll get to later. The one thing that really stood out when that breakaway went off was team direct energy missed the move and their (laughs) director sportif pulled the old, if you miss it, chase it tactic, which I don't know what's worse, missing the break and look or, or looking desperate by flogging your riders on the 17th stage of the tour in front of the cameras and the whole world to see. I thought that was a little amateur move i mean this is the tour de france it's yeah. not like those guys haven't been in any breakaways they've been pretty active okay they haven't won a stage but then there's quite a few teams that haven't won a stage only seven yeah, exactly. teams out of 22 have won up till now the 17 stages in the tour so that was that was kind of a bummer uh inappropriate old school time to the dead horse uh, put your guys on the front but uh yeah so the the group got up the road uh Decoinic quick step started you know doing some pacemaking they got to that first sprint at kilometer 62 which was taken by wanty gobert's pasquillon right ahead of de Ghent. at that time the the gap was about six minutes all the points were up the road so a guy like peter Sagan didn't even have to worry about that sort of stuff today but um yeah at that moment De Quignic quick step was just riding a, a pace to get from point a to point b it didn't look like there was much stress at all then they got to the first KOM, which was a Cat 4 at 104 kilometers. And Ghent takes that one from the Ludol Lotto team. Peloton at 12 minutes. So now that gap is getting pretty big. Because remember, there Trek-Segafredo had three guys in that group, and Movistar only had one. And with the Team GC up for grabs uh, by the end of the stage, and we'll get to it a little bit later, uh, that, that was a, a big thing you know, but over the top of that climb, I was kind of surprised that DeGent just didn't continue because remember, that's how he kind of got off the other day when he, when he won the stage was he went for that KOM point and just said, ciao tutti after that. And no (laughs) one ever saw him again. But I think this time everyone else was looking a little bit expecting that, right? So yeah, at this moment, the the gap was getting really big. Team GC kind of came into my my head. I thought that Movistar would get up there, maybe put a guy or two on the front, but I think they're looking at even if even having lost the team GC today, I think they're looking at those next three mountain stages where where they'll get it back. And yeah, with 85k to go, it started raining. So these guys who had been putting those ice socks down their back and, you know, drinking four or five water bottles an hour finally got a little nice little baptism by the beautiful Rain that, that fell on them uh, on the road to Gap today. Um, yeah, then it kind of came down to, okay, who's going to win this stage? The attack started flying, pff, yeah, right around 35K from, from that front group. Um, Gap went up, shot up to 15 minutes at this time to the Peloton. A lot of the strong guys in that move, no doubt about it. Ben King looked really good and he seemed to break up the group and Askreen, the guy that we've been talking about who's just been the workhorse of this Tour de France, bridges by himself from the group that got split off up to that group, which was about about 10 guys. And that that was just impressive. How much time he spent on the front and then to be able to to punch it across a gap like that when you know that the guys in the front are, are going full tilt is is pretty impressive. So yeah, getting down to uh, 25K to go right before the, the bottom of the climb, it broke up to, yeah, six about six guys and Trentine just launches
2: before the climb even really started. And Man, that I- was a that was a great move. I just want to like stick on that because you know, he was keeping that race together until that point. He was always at the front, always pulling. You kind of thought, mate, he might have overdone a little bit, you know. You thought he was you know the best would have been the fastest finisher in that group at least in my opinion and uh and sure enough he just laid off two or three lengths right at the bottom of that climb and just hit them down the right-hand side of the road and he was 5 seconds up the road before anyone kind of realized right and he was once he went he was on his way
0: yeah i thought that move was a little bit too early but man mm-hmm. it was just his day the confidence that yeah. he showed the power that he showed the obviously big huge morale that that team has from winning four of the last nine stages he he was just uh, a man on a mission today uh, Seeing seeing seen Askreen go uh, try to go across maybe he tried to go a little bit too late because i don't think i don't think you can bank on picking up any time on on Trentine on a descent like that but yeah over the top of that second uh, climb of the day which was a cat 3 we had yeah Trentine went over right ahead of Askreen in in Perishon from from Kofidis, which i think it's we we need to mention his name that was a pretty impressive uh, showing by Perishon today going absolutely going ahead and trying to, to bring back uh Trentine when the other guys, the, maybe the stronger guys, uh, laid off the gas a little bit. But then um yeah, on that descent, it was uh, man against man and neither of them were taking it easy. Both of them are very good descenders. But it was just Trentine's day and being able to solo down for a winning gap like we predicted that it would be a breakaway that it is normally won by a solo move was, uh, just fantastic. What a, what a, what a great ride by, by him.
2: Yeah. And he looked, uh, yeah, he looked, he looked really good. He looked really in control. And, um, and as he said at the finish there, it's only the second time he's ever won solo in his career. So, uh, nice work there from Trentin. I do want to highlight something though. I've kind of been biting my tongue, um, for a while on this, this topic, but, Now that we have an audience, I've decided I'm just going to let it go. And what is up with terrible sunglasses in the cycling peloton right now? Like, what was Trenton wearing? What is Sagan wearing? Van Averme? Oof. Thomas, like 2008 called. And uh, it's reminding everyone that what a terrible year for fashion it was. And uh, obviously, he didn't pick up the phone. So, whatever happened, I'm asking, whatever happened to the M-Frames? And more, more in particular, the Golf version of the M-Frames. Bobby, used to wear M-Frames, didn't Oh, you?
0: yeah, you're, you're talking my language now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. M-Frames were it for me. I had those throughout most of my career. But, yeah, it seems like a lot of these new companies are coming out with just bigger and bigger lenses. I don't yeah. think it looks so great, but, yeah, you see everyone buying them, everyone wearing them. Of course, if you see guys like Sagan and, and Simon Yates wearing these glasses, they're going to sell. Right, but yeah, yeah um, I really like the M frames. I still I had prescription glasses my entire career, and I kept very close uh, watch on those glasses because it's not like if you you could just throw them off on the side of the road because you knew the the <laughs> sunglass sponsor would be there at the end to give you a new one. So I have uh, probably I don't know fifty pairs of maybe even more, and I've gotten rid of some of them over the years, but. I always like the m frames and the sweep lens you know that that sleek lens that uh you could still actually tell who who it is behind the glasses now it's you kind of have to look at the jersey because you're not you're seeing this big billboard on the front of their face you're not really seeing the the rider anymore
2: yeah mate you're exactly right, could not agree more, so uh, if anybody's listening out there, uh bring back the m frames, please shall we uh well, let's just ch- cl- cross the the classification. No real changes there, except for the team GC, right? Before we move on to uh, to hear from the superfan.
0: Yeah, uh, everyone else seemed to 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 keep their powder dry, anticipating these next three hard stages. Um, but yeah, I since we go on the the pod right afterwards. What was the final result for the team
2: GC? Did Trek so take it Trek over? Trek took it by eight minutes. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, which was surprising to me. At least that's the the preliminary results that like that I've been able to pull up right now. So um, yeah, Movistar now eight thirteen behind. Way back to UAE, who actually moved up seven spots, so they're now forty six minutes behind. So Movistar, I feel like you know, given the other GC teams are pretty far down, um, should have a, a bit of a command on that jersey by the by the end of the tour. But uh, but yeah, they lost a, a shitload of time today in that classification. And uh, we've got the Superfan, as per usual, waiting in the wings. How you doing, Superfan? What do you got for us today? It's time for Superfan. Dustin, Bobby, I'm great. Phenomenal stage today. Matteo Trentin, just so much confidence out there. Dude was on a mission to get that solo win. You knew he had it when he unzipped his jersey and let it flap on that final little climb up there. So cool. Anyway, one of the moments today that caught my eye was Tony Martin swerving around at Luke Rowe back in the bunch and the two having some words. I was hoping you guys could talk a little bit about some of the do's and don'ts and the unspoken rules of etiquette in the bunch. As youngsters, who taught you the most about etiquette in the pro peloton? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work.
0: Well, first off, you have to remember that it's the 17th stage in the Tour de France. People are tired. People are cranky. And just the tiniest little annoyance can set someone off, no doubt about it. That being said, there are rules, and we've seen rules enforced over the years. The bottom line, rule number one, is you just don't take your hand off the bar and touch anyone in an aggressive fashion. And we've we've seen over the years, I remember Tom Steele's throwing a water bottle in the middle of a mass sprint. You know, down the road, I think he hit uh, one of the, the French writers. I forget his name, but he, yeah, he, got, DQ'd. I remember that he got DQ'd from the tour. Um, today, I like, like I said before, we go on the pod, so we don't really know what happened. But somebody was annoyed at something there with Tony Martin and, and it looked like Luke Rowe. And mm. I'm sorry, you know, he didn't hit him, but he did kind of swerve at him in an, in an aggressive way. So it'll be interesting if, if that's looked at. I, I hope it's not because, man, these guys have just been under the pump this entire race. Everyone's tired. But when it comes down to etiquette, I think it's just the people that you're riding with. If you're riding with, with guys that are yelling at each other and cursing at each other and throwing up their hands, you know, you're probably going to grow up like that. But once you get into the pros, um, especially as a neo pro you kind of just keep your head down. You don't say anything. You don't do anything. And, and that kind of becomes the norm. Not to say that we haven't seen some some flare-ups. Uh, I was involved in one as well. Um, that just comes out at the wrong time when people are frustrated or tired. And right now, everyone's frustrated and tired. Or, you know, most of the Peloton is is—all the Peloton is tired— and I'm sure there's a lot of frustration from those other teams that haven't won a stage so far this year. You know, I, I hope and, nothing comes out of this because it wasn't a, a major incident. It was so far uh, out of the r- real race determining race, yeah. factor. But you never know. The UCI they have cameras everywhere now, and they could could uh, make an example out of Tony Martin.
2: Yeah, and I think what was interesting about that is those those two guys are. Uh, are considered you know heads of the peloton they're um very well respected riders and very classy bike riders so yeah i mean like it just it just goes to show that even two of the you know kind of coolest and and calmest characters can disintegrate i do want to say one thing though that that i noticed particularly and i may have said this earlier on but when i started bike racing and started kind of coming up um you know as a junior like under nineteens and starting to train with some, you know, some world tour guys, and then going on to to being a professional at sort of eighteen years of age. Um, we, I remember there being quite a lot of like respect, and you know, like the older guys, like Graham Brown and and um, and O'Grady and those sort of guys. Like they would, there was they would instill like a set of rules upon you. Um, and there was like a level of respect, right? And then I left the sport for three or four years. And, and when I came back, it was almost like it would just become a free-for-all. And uh, it just seemed like, I don't know, there just seemed to be a change. And it seemed to be like the next group that came through decided that they were just going to be like, I don't know, just decided that there was they weren't going to follow the way that things had been done before. And that progressively led to to like a deterioration throughout the entire group. Anyway, so yeah, I definitely noticed there was a difference between like when I first was racing and then when I came back to racing as to the respect and the, um, and the etiquette in the group. On that, <laughs> you're talking about you having a little bit of a, a tiff there, I heard you mention Bobby. Let's get into today's theme. And today's theme is relationships. Um, and relationships in the cycling world are an odd one, obviously, you know, because you uh, you're competing against people. So there's, you know, aggression and that sort of stuff. But then you also spend more time with with your sort of competitors than you do much of your family uh, for a lot of the year, and then you have you know you have relationships obviously uh, with the, with your sponsors, with your rivals, with your teammates, and then there's a relationship with your partners and your wives, and it's interesting because you know you're not allowed to travel uh, with your partners and and with your wives, so you know most of the time you get to see them only a couple of minutes before a stage start or or <clears throat> on a rest day. I want to ask you, Bobby, like before you got into racing. Like you were obviously married whilst, during your career, but before you before you sorry got married, did your wife know that you were a bike rider and that, that did she know what, what she was getting into?
0: No, no, not at all. I remember the first day that we met back on October seventeenth of nineteen ninety two. Pretty impressed, right? That I know the actual remember <laughs> yeah. the actual day. Um, I met her through a friend of mine and she kind of, you know, throughout the evening, Oh, what do you do? And I said I was a, a bike racer. And she was just like, What kind of bike? And I was like, you know, 10 speed style bike. And she kind of looked at me with this quizzical look on her face saying, you you can make money at that? Like she had, she was (laughs) not impressed at all. And I've been with her since 1992. And to this day, she still does not know what like gear ratios are, for example. Like I'll be sitting there talking to a teammate <laughs> or a client about, you know, using a 52 or a 53 or a 56 and then the rear rear cluster 1122 and she just sits there and rolls her eyes. She's just like that is just it just doesn't make sense. You're talking about these 5734s and I'm like, "Honey, uh, just don't worry about it." So, yeah, she wasn't <laughs> impressed at all. She obviously followed my career and supported me 100%, but when it came to like the real technical aspects of my sport I don't think to this day she really understands so much and it's kind of funny watching a race with her she's just so which doesn't happen very often but if she is paying attention she just comes up with these very honest questions and you just mentioned one one of these old school you know habits is that wives are not allowed to travel with the riders like, why is that? Is that like Dude, just from the beginning uh, that somebody you know thought that hey, we just want to have a little boys club
2: and
0: all girls are distractions? And um, it's just boys funny club. that that becomes part of the routine boys that you just Dude, uh, at the beginning yeah. of the tour you say ciao and then maybe you see them for fifteen or twenty minutes or an hour on the rest day, maybe you know right after the right before the stage in Paris, but. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's like all of a sudden this fence is put up and it probably came back from one of those superstitions back in the day that, you know, you can't have your wife around because having sex, making love, whatever, however you want to call it is takes the energy away from the riders. I'm for sure. You can ask Mario Cipollini that question and I bet you he'll argue (laughs) to the death.
2: Dude, exactly. He's a walking, he's living proof. Um, it is weird, though. I never realized how weird it was until, like, the last year or so when I was asked that question. Like, oh, did your partner get to go with you? And you're like, no. And then you're like, wait a second. Why, like, why wouldn't they? Um, funny, though. So were you, were you, like, old school? Like, I like the whole schoolboy setup, boarding school style, or, or would you be all for the change and be, like, partners are allowed on the, should be allowed on tour? You're allowed to just, like, finish the stage and then do what you want and then turn up tomorrow at 8 to start?
0: yeah that's a that's a slippery slope for sure. I mean especially being on the other side of the barriers now in the coaching side. you want those riders to concentrate as much as they can on their recovery. Um, I have to say, even if my wife was at the race, maybe she was staying in the same hotel. I would go up and sleep in in my own bed with with my roommate. I just felt like it was the the, the right thing to do, but you know now that I'm looking at it, Why, you know, if you could just go and relax and kind of get out of that bubble that 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 male
2: testosterone
0: bubble and just go and you know chill out a little bit, maybe it would help
2: exactly. And here you go, we're challenging the uh challenging the foundations of the sport, Bobby. I would like to hear listener responses to that, um, because yeah, I think uh, I think there'll be some interesting ones. I've been you, met, you alluded to it just before, and, and as I was reading through the research, uh, we have a couple of, to the listeners, we have like a couple of guys who do a bit of research for us prior to the tour and like, you know, dig out kind of interesting stories. And today's, uh, on today's theme, it was all 100% in one way or another linking back to like riders having fights. Um, so, so they just wanted to know, they're like, yeah, who's had fights? Have you been involved in fights? So I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that because you are surrounded by people the, the same guys kind of all the time, particularly the tour when it's like, you know, three weeks of the same guys. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've gotten heated with someone or become like in a bit of a tense, uncomfortable rivalry and you've just had to then just deal with it for the next three weeks?
0: I think you always, especially in the first week of the tour, you find out who your nemesis is. And that's that one guy that always seems to let the wheel go in front of him or spits on you. Like, that was one of my biggest pet peeves is like, man, if you're going to clear your nose, pull over to the side of the road and make sure you just don't spray everybody behind you. But there always seemed to be that one guy and, you know, each rider was different, but they all seemed to have that one person that just annoyed them. And in the first week, you can deal with it. In the second week, you can kind of deal with it. By the third week, you're cracking. And that... That, you know, you have to gut most of that sort of stuff. But it it is just, it's it's inevitable that in three weeks, you're going to have some issues. You're going to maybe, you know, cut somebody off in a turn. You're going to maybe quack them on the descent. Uh, something's going to happen. And you just have to own up to it and, and apologize. And a lot of those times, those apologies come after the race, after the heat of the moment has, has left. But mm-hmm. um, you asked about... Uh, a fight. And yes, I was yes reluctantly involved in a very, very big spectacle after the 2000 Tour de France when I was riding on Credit Agricole. Mind you, I had the worst Tour de France of my life. <laughs> I was miserable. I was in the Gruppetto more that tour than I was in every other single tour combined. And We're in Paris on the Champs-Élysées and, you know, Stuart O'Grady had had crashed and broken his collarbone, so we're thinking like, who who else could we lead out here? What else could we do? So Jens and I said, okay, we're going to work for Magnus Bagstead and with about two laps to go on the Champs, and I believe if my memory serves me, the Champs is about 10K around. I'm not positive about that, but it's a big lap, Right. So we're moving up to the front and uh, trying to get up there and show our colors because we had just totally whiffed on the whole tour and we're like, "Eh, you know, maybe we can do something here. And I'm moving up through the group and all of a sudden, like, I kind of get quacked by the guy in front of me. And I'm like, okay, there's two laps to go. Like, we have 20 kilometers left. This shouldn't be an issue. And all of a sudden, I try to get around him again and he just, just quacks me again and I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. I've had the worst Tour de France ever. I don't need to crash. I'm out. And then, so I sit on the back of the group. We finish the, the, the loops. We turn on the Champs-Élysées, that beautiful view that only cyclists get to see. I mean, they don't close the, the, the Champs-Élysées on a daily basis. It's like maybe one, twice a year. Once for uh, the Tour de France finish and once for the, the victory over Europe parade, right? So you have a very unique view and I'm just trying to enjoy what the last few hundred meters of the worst Tour de in my life. And I see this guy kind of looking back and it, he's in the same jersey that, of the guy that I had kind of an altercation with 20K before. And this one person, his name was Jerome bly He was a sprinter that also had a terrible Tour de France. He was on Pulte. And I see this guy up ahead of me, like turning around and looking intently and I'm like, oh my god, is he is he looking for me? You know, is no that couldn't be. That was twenty K ago. He's looking for somebody else. As soon as we crossed the finish line, he came up to me and was just absolutely spazzing out.
2: Oh shit, really? And
0: we're right <laughs> I don't know, twenty meters, fifty meters past the start finish line. I'm just trying to get out of there. I'm just trying to keep my head down and and just defuse the situation by running away. And he catches up to me and we're face to face and he takes a swing at me from point blank range. And luckily misses. Because he would have laid me out right there on the on the on the cobbles of the Champs-Élysées. And he but he knocks my glasses off, my Oakley prescription glasses that I told you before that Hell I Those weren't disposable, right? So I'm trying to diffuse the situation by looking down on the ground and getting my glasses. And he takes another swing at me right as I'm coming up. And luckily, like, it was kind of like a weave and bob situation. And he misses me again. And now I'm like, wait a second, there's all these cameras here, UCI officials, we got to stop. But he just wouldn't back down. And we wound up, you know, having some words. And um, there's quite a few images of that of me on, on the internet, which I'm not proud of. Um, but luckily, I, I was able episode. to get out of there without getting my face smacked in. But I have to say, you said this a couple podcasts ago, what your, what your first coach told you. You do not want to get into a fight with cycling shoes on, especially on pave or brick like they, they have on the Champs-Élysées, because it was like ice skates. And maybe that's the reason why he missed me from point-blank range
2: three times, but, exactly. He was an amateur. You could tell. He'd shoot a nine. Million dollar question, man. Shoes off. The Everyone biggest
0: question that. I had was Was it me that you were so mad at? Like, how could you be mad at me when it was 20K to go? It's, it wasn't like in the last 200 meters. It turned out that because I went back on the back and I was out of the way, that Jens went up there and was still <laughs> battling. And this guy, just, you know, with, with not being able to see straight, just so amped up for the sprint, thought it was me again. And it was actually Jens that quacked him in the final that really, you know, peed him off. him up. So in reality, I got into that situation. Okay, I did have words with him with 20K to go, but it was in fact my teammate Jens Vogt that like really put it over the top. So we were both in the same jersey. We were on Credit Agricole. He was on Pulte and a big misunderstanding, but yeah, very, very uncomfortable um, situation, especially right there with all the
2: TV cameras on you. Yenzi, what do you got to say for yourself if you're listening, Yenzi? You got to get in touch with Bobby because I know you're going on air tomorrow on the show. We'll, I want to hear your side of the story.
0: You know, he he left that for about two years before he finally told me the truth. <laughs> he he did. He totally did. He classic left... stitch up. Yeah,
2: big time. The old bait and switch. Just fire him up and then just get out of there and get the guy. <laughs> just let the guy who looks the most lucky deal with it. But the frustrated well, Bobby-
0: riders will find other frustrated riders and then inevitable happens um, every time every
2: time let's move on we've got uh, our guest today ellie woods um in the wings ellie how are you doing
1: good how are you
2: really well really well uh how's uh, have, you, have you have you heard from mike today how's mike going so far in the tour i haven't spoken to him for a few days
1: yeah i, I spoke with him this morning and i've just been texting him back and forth now but He's doing well he uh he's a little beaten up, but he's he's coming around so he's optimistic he's excited to to hopefully make it to paris and I guess he's in a few pieces but
2: <laughs> I was going to say does he have a he's got a couple of broken ribs right
1: yeah he does He had a kind of just some bad luck on on stage eleven actually there was a, a bit of a pile up and he he missed it for the most part, but uh he i think what happened was someone just ran ran into him from behind and he f- he fell on his radio and ended up cracking two ribs so
2: brutal that's 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 so unlucky of all the things, yeah, well, hopefully we'll see him uh make it through his first tour, which would be great. I have the same question for you to start off that I had uh for Bobby, which is did you know what you were getting into when you met Mike?
1: No, no idea <laughs> I mean. Mike and I, we've been together now for, for 12 years. And so when I first started dating him, he, he wasn't a cyclist, like it just wasn't on the radar. Like I I was a runner and I met Mike through running. So we both ran uh, for the same local track club back in Ottawa together. and. Like I, I started dating him as a runner and his goals were always very running oriented. And then uh, through injury in running, he found cycling. And so I've, I've watched this whole transition from, you know, him being a, a running star to, to him kind of um, seeing that dream fade away for him. And then he had a few years where really he was just kind of floundering and um, that was a bit sad to watch, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, he started using his bike as an outlet and I mean, we've never really, knew at that time that you know he'd be racing at this level so it's definitely been a whirlwind
2: yeah it has his rise his rise has been a whirlwind and what about for you you know like all of a sudden you find yourself in Europe um and he's kind of traveling all the time
1: yeah <laughs> um for me it's just de- definitely been like a complete transition I I would say it was a slow drip initially so um he started uh back in Ottawa racing just for I think it was like a category three um local team and he was doing races in Ottawa and uh just each year you could progressively see him get better so I think it was initially like an outlet it was something he did for fun and then you know would kind of I I guess set, set some goals for himself where they got a little bit more ambitious each year and For him, like his desire was always to go to the Olympics because that in in running is like the be all end all. So he said, you know, I want to try to make the Olympics in cycling. So I was like, oh, just go for it. And through all um, through that all, uh, I just started noticing a little bit more pressure on me in the sense that like I was working full time when he first met me at IBM. And then I moved on and was working at Hewlett Packard. Um, and so I had to start getting creative with just the teams I would move um, to within uh, the tech industry. So like I, I really like put my hand up to work remotely. Um, I moved to this global team where like I had coworkers in China and like in Europe just so that I could travel more with him. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, I would say as he started progressing up the ranks in cycling, I just had to get a little bit more creative with how I continued to work
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like being the partner you also like not only you know you're you're, conti- you're continuing to do your own job but you take on another job as as you know as mike you know kind of gets better or as the athlete kind of gets better the support they need is way more right um i want to know about like a couple of questions first one is like about um in the preparation like you know nowadays you got to go to altitude Every moment that you're not at a race, it seems like, or you've got to be at least on your way there, sort of thing. So, what's your role in the, in the lead up? Are you traveling all the time with him? Are you at these camps? Or
1: yeah, I would say whenever he does an altitude stint, I I really make it a priority to be there because generally speaking, he'll be there for like three weeks minimum, and so it's just a good opportunity for us to be together. Um, so, I'd say my role in it is. Just really, like, during the day, I typically will go for a run, have my own personal time, but just make sure that I like, get groceries, he's well fed, um, he's, you know, make, like, making sure that basically he has everything that he needs to, to ride successfully. And, and some of that might be just taking on some more logistics of, you know, kind of running – Our household um, in Ottawa because we own a house in Ottawa but even we have an apartment here in Girona so it's just kind of managing some of those pieces as well Um, you know whether it's like making sure our rents being paid or our mortgage is getting paid and taxes are done and things like that so um, I find yeah for, for training camp specifically it's more about just being on the ground with him and supporting him as he needs it like sometimes I would get a call I think it was one time in Tucson where he just completely cracked uh, going up the mountain. He was like, you need to come and rescue me. So I just was like <laughs> on call to jump in the car and grab him. And then I would say um, beyond just training camps, day to day, it's just kind of managing yeah, the logistics of, of our household. Yeah.
2: And then moving to, to the Tour de France now, like, I mean, we've been doing this podcast, I don't know for how long, and I'm exhausted, right? And obviously, obviously writing it is like excruciating how is it like essentially writing it vicariously through someone and then like having to be on the end of the phone after the stage to like deal with all the emotional support like or like be in that role of emotional support and like deal with everything
1: it's it's hard like I I genuinely like I, I feel the ups and downs that he feels and like even a good example is this tour like he was in the top 10 in GC and like kind of Uh, was riding that high. And so I was riding that with him, and then he crashed and like that was just completely gone. And so then we reset expectations or he reset expectations. And, you know, we're like, Oh, maybe you can go after some stages like this lets you off the leash a little bit more. And then he crashed again and broke ribs. So now it's just like, yo dude, like let's just get to Paris (laughs) safely. Like I'll see you there. So like, you definitely, you definitely feel that Um, there's definitely those highs and lows. And I think more than anything, it's just trying to be strong and, just make him realize like at the end of the day like you know he, he like we're living a really cool lifestyle and it's it's biking and cycling and it means a lot but you know you just sometimes have to like acknowledge that that's just the sport and that's also what makes it beautiful are those highs and lows
2: yeah that's exactly right it has to, that i mean it has to be that's why we all keep watching it. And we all keep coming back and get so absorbed by it right and you're going to be for
0: quite a treat with your first trip to to paris when the tour de france is in town I think I know. I'm excited. It's an amazing thrill that I'm so happy that that Mike is going to be able to experience because there's nothing like riding into Paris your your first time. People tell yeah, you, about, tell you it, about it, but man, the energy and just riding into that city with the closed roads, the police escorts, all the people on the side of the road is amazing. So yeah, I I I suggest that you follow one of the other more experienced wives because they know all the tricks because remember the champs is 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 shut down like they have it blocked so you if you want to get from one side of the Shams to the other it could be a five kilometer walk if you don't know the little tricks on how to get around so you're, you're in for quite quite an experience there um, but I'm sure there's many many more to come one you know we all when we get finished with the Tour de France, Obviously, you want to see your wife, you want to see your kids, but you want to get back down to real life as well. And one of those things about real life is eating something that you haven't been able to eat or drinking something that you haven't been able to drink for three, four, five weeks with the preparation leading up to the tour. Has Mike had any special requests of what's waiting for him when he gets finished uh, there in Paris?
1: Yeah. He hasn't had any special requests yet, but I bet you he's just going to want like a burger, a beer, and some fries.
0: Guaranteed. That's, that's the old safe standby. Yeah. That's the old safe standby because after, after the race finishes, then the real dog and pony show starts, right? You have to do the lap of honor and then you have to go out to dinner with the team. And most of the time you go to a place where the, the food is like, you know, plated and these poor guys just want to eat. So when, when, have a big old sack of hamburgers from McDonald's or some French fries for the poor guy. These these guys need to eat, no doubt, after the tour.
1: Yeah, they definitely do. I think he's excited. His his whole family's in town, so we're actually going to Paris tomorrow together. And then, um, yeah, I think after, we'll probably eat up all of Girona.
0: Is that Mike calling right now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just Denied, Denied him. him. Denied him. Denied right,
2: him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ellie, I I think that's an indicator that we've probably taken up too much of your time. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. That was fantastic.
1: <laughs> yeah, bye guys. Thanks. Thank, Thank
2: you very much. much. Appreciate that, yeah. Nice. There you go. See? No rest. Uh for the partner of a pro cyclist in the Tour de France. As you can see, Mike actually calling there at the end. So yeah, uh, I think, Hopefully I we think now, the now that
0: I'm on, watching it on TV myself, I understand what my wife used to say. Like, oh my God, I hate July. I hate the month of July. I'm like, why? Shit. Like you just sit on the couch and watch TV and you know, maybe talk to me five <laughs> minutes a day. And she says, yeah, but you don't understand the stress of watching you guys go down these descents or you know when you see that massive pile up you start looking for that that one familiar jersey or one familiar body type and yeah she she was super stressed out and unfortunately she had to watch me like get into the ambulance twice and that that can't be easy so these ladies that are absolutely the su- number one support mm. um pillar of of these riders lives it it's it's not as easy as it looks. It's not for the faint hearted. And these, these are some strong women and
2: um, appreciate them hanging out with us goofballs. Yeah, that is 100%, 100% sure. Excuse me. Let's look at tomorrow's stage. It's the final. This is the swing of the axe now. The axe is on the downhill, the downward swing as of tomorrow. And uh, some heads are going to roll over the next few days. Let's, uh, let's have a look at the stage. Yes. So,
0: stay, tomorrow's stage is from Ambran to Valoir, which is 208 kilometers. On top of that, they have a, about a nine kilometer neutral as well. Mm. It's going to be a long mountain stage with a lot of time at those higher altitudes. We haven't really spent that much time at those higher altitudes yet. So, this is going to be uh, per- perhaps a, a totally different ball of wax here for these guys. And remember... This is a long stage, but then the other two remaining mountain stages on Friday and Saturday are only 123 and 131 kilometers. So, are we going to see that big long-range kind of haymaker uh, tactical mm. group going up the road tomorrow? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But we do have we have one Cat Three pretty close to the beginning. That's it at, at 13 kilometers into the race. I think that will be yep. where the Breakaway will establish itself, and then we have one cat one. That's the Col de Vach. That's that's at um, 133 kilometers into the stage, and this one tops out at 2109 meters, two thousand one hundred nine meters. So yeah. already, already at altitude. very very high high uh, high altitude there. Then we have the horse category climb, the Col d'Issoire which tops hmm. out at 2,360 meters. And then, if that wasn't enough, we have the um, the uh, Col de Galibier at 189 kilometers, and that's 2,642 meters at the top. <laughs> so right there, you have two Cat 1s and... I'm sorry, one Cat 1 and two Horse category climbs. So it's, it's going to be on and they don't finish on top of the Galibier this year. They, they have 20 kilometer fast descent down into Valois. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be on tactics. I think we're going to see, look for Mulvistar, star, Francis de Joux, Bora to put some riders up the road to maybe uh, wait for, I don't think this is the stage that they're going to go up and try to win the stage. they're going to try to get up the road yeah. so that they can support their GC leaders. When, when the, the, um, the rubber meets the road um will quick step try to defend you know they 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 didn't really defend today they rode on the front or are they going to leave it to a team Mm. like Ineos or to jumba visma um i think that it's going to be very very aggressive riding and with that you know it being the the 18th stage of the tour guys are going to be just everywhere um the sprinters have to be very careful on a day like tomorrow
2: yeah, that time cut is going to be hard for those guys to make. And with all of that high altitude, as you said, it, uh, it's going to be a battle royale just to get through the day. And there's so many think-
0: different battles going on tomorrow, Yeah, right? Okay, yes, we got the yellow jersey, the GC battle. This is going to shake up for sure. Um, I have a hard time seeing Alaphilippe surviving uh, in yellow tomorrow. Um, I think the jersey will cha- change hands, but to who? That's the question.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I reluctantly have to agree with you. I think Alaphilippe um, is going to see, see the jersey slip away tomorrow. Uh, look, I, th- that's a really good question. Like, who, Who's it going to go for? I mean, I'm seeing um, Lander sending a long bomb. Uh, I'm seeing Pinot going across. And uh, I think Pinot will take the jersey uh, from, from, I don't know, who probably uh, um, Bernal. But because Bernal, I mean, you, you think about it. This high, all this high altitude that we're going to be seeing um, is right up his alleyway. These long climbs. So, yeah. Look, I think I think we're going to see Pino in the jersey tomorrow from the from the uh, from the GC group.
0: Okay. And the, the KOM jersey is still up for grabs. Wellens has to get into that break and mark maximum or close to maximum points on at least those first three climbs, in my opinion. With Pino climbing so well. And always getting those points at the horse category, you know where 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 the real points are on offer. He's going to have to get a buffer here because he's been very active the whole tour. I think he's had a couple easier days with this stage in mind. If he can take some big points tomorrow, that's going to make him a lot, you know, a lot. He's going to sleep a lot better uh, having that 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 kom jersey in, in Paris. The white jersey looks pretty locked up by Bernal at the moment. Yeah. He's got uh, you know, a 13-minute lead over Godou from Francis de Joux. And then I think third place is uh, 45 minutes behind. So that kind of seems to be a, a two-horse race. But obviously, he's not thinking about the yellow jer- uh, The white jersey. I think he's thinking more about the yellow jersey. The green jersey, I think Sagan just has to stay smart tomorrow. Um, you know He's also been quite active this whole entire race, and this is going to be a hard stage. So just stay safe, be smart, and make sure that you make it through these mountains in order to get to Paris, because you have to get to Paris to win that, that green Jersey. And it has quite a demanding, uh, quite a big lead right now at just around a hundred points, but he, he has to get there. And I'm sure he, you know, you don't win six times the green Jersey in the tour de France without knowing this yourself. Um, the stage win tomorrow, I think that tactics are going to be such a major important part of tomorrow that I look for someone to be gifted a stage win in tomorrow by one of the, the other riders in the group in order to create or strengthen some alliances because I believe that will really factor into the big picture over these three, three days. With, without that dominant team to count on, like Team Sky in the past or Team Ineos now, you got to cooperate with some other teams. You have to have some alliances. And the only question is, who's already talked to who? Who's playing mm. the double agent? Who's playing the triple agent? And, and what, what's going to happen out there on the road? Because you can have all these tactics, but your GC guy, your main plan A, he still has to do the, the heavy lifting. You know, uh, Team GC is also in play. We saw that swish hands today because of that breakaway going up the road and taking 20 minutes, Trek having three guys in the group. Movistar only having one, I think that was a tactical decision where they said we could defend it today or we could actually let it come back to us naturally tomorrow and the next day. And if we really have to go after it on Saturday, then then we'll do so. So that was a pretty wise tactic. But that's a big prize. You win Team GC in the Tour de France, that's that's a big thing. And um, being up, up on the, the podium in Paris with your teammates is, is quite special after after three weeks. So I agree. I I think your pick is good. Um, And I probably would have picked... Well, you picked Landa to to win the stage and Pino to take the jersey, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to agree with you that Pino takes the jersey. But Mm -hmm. I think that um, Landa is definitely going to start throwing some spanners in the works, as you guys down in Australia say. And there's going to be some ruffled feathers there between Movistar and Ineos, Movistar and Jumbo Visma. And yep. so since Landa's off the table for the stage win, I'm going to go with Boekman, my new favorite writer, German writer. Yeah. From, from a very select group of Pino, Landa, Bernal, and, and um, himself. And I think that those guys are going to kind of be over it you know, with each other's tactics and and he's going to be able to slip off or or win the sprint. But um, it's all to play for now. It's going to get super exciting. And these alliances are going to change from day to day. And with with so many guys, you know, you can go down to the top 10. You know, you can't even count out guys like Richie Port yet. So top six is pretty, pretty, pretty close. Then there's a couple more minutes. I think it drops from, you know, two or three minutes down to six or seven minutes yeah. down at the top 10. But that could all get flipped on its head very, very quickly. And tomorrow we'll see.
2: That's exactly right. And it's like, it just proves what a um, what an open race it still is uh, when a guy like Bachmann, you know, he's sort of flown under the radar, but he's got to be now the most talked about under the radar guy uh, in, in all of the Tour de France because everyone's kind of being like, Well, maybe there's a possibility that he could, uh, you know, take a stage or, or move up onto the podium at the end of the race. So, yeah. Whatever the outcome, tomorrow and the next couple of days are going to be a really fantastic race. So tune in, guys, um, because you're going to be in for a treat. Bobby, thank you so much. Another fantastic show. Uh, To our listeners, you guys have been fantastic. To Robbie McEwen, thanks for giving us a shout-out. Keep spreading the word. Keep spreading the love. And uh, don't forget to subscribe. You can get at at us on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, and, of course, Velenews.com. And uh, if you want to reach out to us... Get us on superfan at uh, at bobby.julik, and at That Is Gus. A massive thank you to Ellie Woods as well for coming on the show uh, before jetting off to see the finish in Paris. Uh, Bobby, thank you, man.
0: Thank you, Gus. Thanks, everyone out there. Make sure you get a good night's sleep because you're not going to want to miss a moment of tomorrow's stage. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on.